0: Despite having international effects, soft power begins domestically. After all, how can you promote your country using TV shows, movies, and music if there aren't domestic creative industries to create those products? How can you improve your country's reputation if the images being shown abroad are false representations of what is happening domestically? In today's episode, we will talk to Dr. Chun-Ning Wei about domestic cultural policy in Taiwan and what Taipei is doing domestically that has international effects. So, let's get into it. Hello everyone, and welcome to Taiwan Salon, the global Taiwan Institute's cultural policy and soft power podcast. My name is Adrian Wu, the host of Taiwan Salon, and a research assistant at GTI.
1: And I'm Marshall Reed, a program manager at GTI.
0: Today we are joined by Chenning Wei, an assistant professor at National Sun yat senator University's Graduate Institute of Arts Management and Entrepreneurship.
1: In addition to her position at National Sun yat senator University, Dr. Wei also is a board member of the Taiwan Association of Cultural Policy Studies. She was the co editor of the book, Taiwan's International Cultural Relations, published in Chinese, and participated in Taiwan's 2017 National Cultural Congress.
0: So I'd like to begin somewhat broadly to set the stage for Taiwan's current efforts related to soft power. According to Joseph S. Nye, soft power comes from three sources, culture, political values, and foreign policy. So in your opinion, what are Taiwan's key sources of soft power?
2: When talking about culture, political values, and foreign policy, I would say the political values is the most valuable resource. in, of Taiwan's soft power, and uh, uh, in my opinion, we haven't promoted Taiwan's democracy or the political values enough, and uh, in terms of culture, we probably uh, tend to do that in a more a political way and not touch on those um, probably more serious uh, questions and more soul-searching questions in the past, but... Uh, I can see some efforts putting in, for example, um, transitional justice in Taiwan, and we will be able to revisit um, the histories we had been through and put it into culture. And when I say culture, that's not limited to artworks. And it will be more about um, the lifestyle we have in Taiwan, and how we Revisit, uh, revisit, to be exactly, um, the history we all been through. And in terms of the foreign policy, I have to say, um, as we know, that Taiwan has a kind of a Uh, limitations uh, in the international stage. However, and gradually we can see uh, the multilateral relations in different international organizations in countries are changing. So in the future, I think these three sources will interact each other and probably the culture will be the thing to convey and the political values and continuing playing a role of um, um, communications in the world stage.
1: I'd like to kind of follow up on something you said there. You know, you mentioned that democracy is a, a huge part of Taiwan's soft power and really plays a big role in, in sort of presenting itself to the world. And I think there's there's been plenty of people that have argued that, that democracy and Taiwan's commitment to human rights are really essential to Taiwan's sort of brand on the international stage. I'm interested to hear, you know, what are some opportunities or challenges facing Taiwan as it tries to use its democracy, its commitment to human rights to sort of promote itself on the international stage?
2: It's interesting to ask um, how to use democracy and human rights to build bridges. And uh, probably the the best um, example we can see is the breakthrough uh, during the um, COVID-19 pandemic with the Czech Republic and Lithuania. And we can see um, visits uh, through the um, politicians mutually come to Taiwan and visit their country. And that will be a starting point for the building the bridges. And however, um, if the government or other politicians in Taiwan fear that promoting Taiwan's democracy and human rights achievement would intimidate China, and to have this fear that these will be um, undermine the cross-strait relations, then that would be a kind of um, challenge or the limitations that when we talk, when we think about China, uh, so much that we are being afraid of them but not promoting our democracy to similar countries, then that would be uh, the biggest challenge I would um, expect in the future.
0: So in addition to the challenges of using democracy to promote Taiwan, one criticism that has been levied against the Taiwanese government is that there is no comprehensive soft Power strategy. So would you agree with this criticism? So, what are the main obstacles to creating
2: a comprehensive strategy? Yes, I would agree with that. And um, if you talk about where, why and there hasn't been a comprehensive strategy of promoting Taiwan's democracy or promoting Taiwan's soft power, we might need to calm down to a look at. The structure of Taiwan's central government. Some would argue, for example, cultural diplomacy would be um, the affairs being in charge with the Ministry of Culture. Um, but some would argue that it should be in the hands of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. And but at the um, uh, cabinet level, uh, would be there be anyone to coordinate all these efforts and policies altogether? And that becomes a question. And I know that there'll be um, a meeting and uh, talking about Taiwan's public diplomacy and also a meeting on cultural affairs um, in the cabinet level. And uh, in the meeting regarding overall cultural affairs um, should be held like every six months. However, if you look at the minutes of this meeting and we could see it's more on the general principles of how uh, cultural affairs should be conducted. But down to the more practical ways of conducting uh, either public diplomacy or cultural diplomacy, we still need to look at how the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Ministry of Culture and some other cultural intermediaries would be able to work with these two ministries. And speaking of that, um, we can see a problem, if we divided those affairs into different government departments without proper communication with each other, then this kind of uh, comprehensive uh, strategy will be absent.
0: When talking about a coordinated soft power strategy, Dr. Wei mentioned a familiar name.
2: And so probably in the future, Minister Audrey Tong And would be able to play the role of coordinating uh, the overall strategy of Taiwan's soft power. Could you also
0: elaborate on why why Audrey Tong should be the one in charge of uh, a comprehensive strategy? What about their position and their place in the government makes them the best choice for this?
2: So it's like... uh, the role of the minister at large. The role of the minister at large would be someone who would be able to um, have a broad viewpoint on each department's um, responsibilities and to look at them to coordinate each other. And uh, yeah, so Um, At a role like that, we would expect a cross-departmental communication and made uh, easier for each other. So um, the minister at large would take a leading role of coordinating those affairs all together. So I was wondering
0: if maybe also the fact that Audrey Tong is a digital minister, maybe that ties more strongly into Taiwan's
2: soft power strategy as well. That's another thing uh, we have been talking about in Taiwan as well. Uh, one would be turning more to um, the digital arena, as what we can see is we've, nowadays we face uh, so many challenges in terms of international communication, in terms of the fake news, uh, in terms of promoting Taiwan through multiple platforms in media. So in the past, when we see Taiwan's cultural diplomacy, we would probably expect a more in-person, face-to-face style of communication. But in the future, after we experience the COVID-19 pandemic and the digital efforts we put in promoting Taiwan's soft power will be essential. So it's not just about uh, simply putting Taiwan's cultural works online. It's also about how uh, Taiwan would join in, um, with other governments or other civil societies and to identify the challenges and the um, crisis we are facing in the digital world. And so, yeah, I think um, by having Audrey Tom in the government, and to have her expertise and understanding on those issues will be crucial and in many aspects of public diplomacy and cultural diplomacy.
1: You mentioned earlier, you were a member of the advisory committee for the National Cultural Congress. I'd love to hear a little bit more about your experience with that. And specifically, could you talk a bit more about Taiwan's 2018 culture white paper and Taiwan's core interests when it comes to domestic cultural policy?
2: When talking about National Culture Congress, um, I might need to start by explaining um, what a National Culture Congress is. So basically, the 2017 National Culture Congress is the fourth one and in Taiwan's history. So we had the first one in 1990, and uh, so. It's not happening regularly until uh, 2017. So in the past, uh, in the first three National Culture Congress, it's by invitation only. So you might be able to guess that um, the Ministry of Culture, or the uh, in the past, the Council for Cultural Affairs, they're sending out those invitations for scholars or cultural professionals and ask them to gather together in a, a conference hall and talking about uh, things they would like t- uh, to discuss. And the agenda or the questions were set by um, the Council for Cultural Affairs. Uh, so you might be able to imagine that is more like a closed story meeting However, in the case of the 2017 National Culture Congress and with the development of uh, social media with all those um, information technology, and the Ministry of Culture, uh, Ms. Jen Li jun work with the Taiwan Association of Cultural. Policy Studies and uh, the um, National Taiwan University of the Arts and work together to design a more uh, bottom-up strategy of uh, convening this uh, National Cultural Congress. So I was invited um, as part of the uh, advisory board uh, in the meeting. So I in the meeting we talk about the inclusiveness. So talking about in Taiwan, how we live with people from a different cultural background and how we are going to do the cultural diplomacy and cultural relations. And after this 2017 our National Cultural Congress, we collect the opinions and the recommendations from people who uh, volunteered uh, in joining this Congress. And we look through those recommendations and uh, make them into this 2018 Cultural White Paper. So this 2018 Cultural White Paper is different from the previous ones. By design, it's able to include um, more people's opinions and comments into this um, cultural white paper. So um, in terms of uh, when we talk about cultural diplomacy and relations, we will be able to invite, for example, representatives from the, uh, what we say, the new immigrants to Taiwan. Um, For example, the immigrants uh, who had been uh, studying in Taiwan for several years and who who will be able to identify the problems of the government um, practicing their policy. And we will be able to invite uh, people working in the NGO that um, promoting the um, cultural relations with the immigrants from the Southeast Asia. So um, in terms of the strategy making in cultural diplomacy, if there has been a shift from what we used to look at the uh, North America or the Europe and the focus of cultural relations could turn into Southeast Asia. So in echoing uh, Tsai Ing-wen's new Southbound policy and the cultural relations and diplomacy would um, have a more in-depth um, um, insights on that and uh, to be more clear on what we are going to do uh, after 2018.
1: You've written in the past about how the 2018 Culture White Paper emphasized cultural diplomacy through, quote, mutuality and collaboration, which were incidentally both themes that were both emphasized by Digital Minister Tong when we spoke to them recently. Looking at the 2018 White Paper from a 2022 perspective, what are, you, what are your thoughts on this? Has Taiwan been successful in achieving the goals they laid out in the 2018 culture white paper?
2: And in terms of the mutuality, especially in the case to the immigrants from Southeast Asia, and from what I can see, is in terms of the regulation and they have previously faced in Taiwan, um, for example, in the past they could not change. Um, their employers, um, I might be wrong, but uh, um, as far as I know, this, the kind, this kind of regulation has been loosened up a little bit and they have more flexibility in changing employers. So that in terms of the regulation, and we can see um, the migrant workers' rights has been improving. However, in terms of those um, discrimination, and sometimes the stereotyping in Taiwan society towards the migrant workers. And I have to say, I can see some little improvements, but the road has been really long, and we are taking step by steps to improve that, but, uh, and gladly I can say there are some improvements in those regulations. And in terms of mutuality and collaboration, and uh, um, I can't help but have to mention the COVID-19 pandemic. And uh, in terms of the um, COVID-19, that brings a challenge to uh, the conventional practice of Taiwan's diplomacy. For example, as I mentioned earlier, in the past we might think um, to have a face to face in person performance or visit or interview will be key for Taiwan and we tend to, for example, think about sending our uh, dance companies or artists to. Um, to other um, international festivals to perform as part of cultural diplomacy. However, the COVID-19 has brought the challenges of that in terms of those uh, border controls or these quarantine regulations like that. However, in these kind of uh, um, aids of um, donating masks or PPEs to other countries, and then we receive gifts and receive uh, vaccines from other countries as well. And that kind of embodied and more made more people realize this kind of mutuality and collaboration. Probably not as uh, we thought as stressed on the art or culture side of that. But when talking about um how to collaborate or um, with this mutuality with each other in terms of public diplomacy during this pandemic. I think we have a shift from, a little bit from standing arts and culture abroad to this kind of um, how we go through these common and shared challenges uh, during the past four years.
0: When discussing recent developments in Taiwan's domestic cultural policy, Dr. Wei also mentioned the establishment of the Taiwan Creative Content Agency, or TAICA, in 2019. Taika is a cultural intermediary intended to act as a link between the government and private industries to help nurture domestic creatives and to find ways to popularize them on a global scale. You can also find more information about TAICA in our interview with them, which was published in the Global Taiwan Brief, Volume 7, Issue
2: 11, available on our website. One of the biggest um, change in 2022 culture um, congress is that in 2019, the Taika, Taiwan Content Cultural Content Agency, has been established in Taiwan. So uh, how to promote uh, Taiwan's original cultural content to other digital platforms? And further to promote fan in international stage has been something Ministry of Culture put emphasis on that. So in 2022 National Cultural Congress, and I can see a big shift on emphasizing the digital communication and in promoting the Taiwan's original cultural content. And I would say and this kind of shift is echoing the challenges brought by the COVID-19 pandemic and also echoing the some of the previous criticism on Taiwan's cultural diplomacy strategy which has been more elite driven in terms of sending performing arts companies and thoughts paying much attention on a more, what we say, the mass media or mass culture. However, in terms of promoting Taiwan's original cultural works or TV series, and some of the stories on Netflix and, for example, on Catch Play, and that would be showing more on Taiwan's contemporary issues. For example, um, feminism. So this is um, something new in the 2022 National Culture Congress.
0: To close, can you comment on the future of Taiwan's soft power? What are some of the challenges that you expect Taiwan to face or opportunities that they should take advantage of? Regarding the partisan split when it comes to Taiwanese culture, do you think that that will be resolved over time?
2: Yes, and... uh... In the past, we can see uh, Taiwanese people has uh, contested, op- has contested opinions on what Taiwanese culture is and how we look at uh, the relations between uh, Taiwanese culture and Chinese culture, and and how do we uh, see ourselves in terms of um, what Taiwanese culture is, and. Uh, I can see changes in the national curriculum and some discourses these um, younger generations would emerge And when we talk about what Taiwanese culture is. And we uh, put more and more emphasis on the lifestyle in Taiwan, and uh, we can also uh, realize more on the efforts of uh, transitional justice. And from my perspective, I would say probably in 10 or 20 years to come and um, we would reach a consensus of what Taiwanese culture is, and probably um down to next generation to have a new definition on that. And so In terms of 2022, it's a little bit too early to say, but I believe that in the future, uh, there will be a consensus to that. Yeah. So, and uh, in terms of the future challenges, and uh, I believe that um, when we open the border again, Um, like other countries we can see now in Europe or in North America. And we are facing a new order uh, post-pandemic. And we will need another, um, probably some adjustments on our um, strategy of of cultural diplomacy. And uh, we would probably need to Uh, have uh, more close collaboration with the United States and also with Japan. And uh, especially in terms of Japan, we uh, will need to pay close attention on the changes that brought after Shinzo uh, Abe's death and how the governments would um, change their policy to Taiwan would be something we need to pay close attention to and uh, see whether we can act accordingly and to have a closer collaboration with those um, uh, partners.
0: I'm really glad that you mentioned about closer collaboration with Japan. And I think it really will be interesting to see how things develop moving forward because think right now there are so many things that are up in the air. Um, Are there any developments that we should be aware of in the coming months besides that or is there anything we haven't covered that you would
2: like to discuss? There's one thing. um, Later this year, we are going to have another election in Taiwan's local governments. And through the election process, how these candidates um, address cultural affairs or um, whether they have uh, developed a discourse on city diplomacy will be something worth paying attention on and um, because we know that uh, sometimes this city-to-city diplomacy or city-to-city relations would be another way for Taiwanese local government to build this kind of friendship with other cities and so that is something uh, I quite look forward to and see if the the cities uh, will be key players in Taiwan in terms of uh, Taiwan's culture Um, diplomacy
0: and relations as well. Dr. Wei, thank you so much for speaking with us and giving us such a great overview. Just like Dr. Wei, we'll be watching the 2022 local elections with interest. Hopefully it'll be an opportunity for Taiwan to create more international ties at a local level. Thank you so much to Dr. Wei for joining us and to you, our listeners, for tuning in. This podcast was made possible in part by the Taiwan Academy Spotlight Taiwan Grant. Production assistance is from Asian Wu Marshall Marshall. Thank you also to our staff and interns for your support in making this episode possible. Intro and background music is by I'm Difficult, Woshu Cho Xiaoyu. The Global Taiwan Institute is a 501c3 think tank located in Washington, DC. If you're interested in learning more about GTI, be sure to check out our website at globaltaiwan.org where you can find information about our Global Taiwan Brief and our frequent public seminars. You can also listen to more episodes of Taiwan Salon on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts, as well as on our website's podcast page. Thank you for listening, and until next time.